Good morning. It's good to be back among you here in Hamilton Baptist, a good congregation here this morning. And I was thinking about and praying about what I should bring to you out of God's Word this Sunday, and New Beginnings sprang to mind as a kind of an appropriate theme. And I was speaking to Kenny earlier on in the, in the service, just before the service, and, uh, and he was saying, I'm speaking at the midweek meeting uh, this week, and I was praying about what I should be uh, thinking about what I should be speaking on. He thought, maybe I should come across New Beginnings and uh, talk about New Beginnings. He came across in the schedule that I was preaching on it as well. So I don't know it's back to the drawing boards, or you're going to do a different slant on New Beginnings, Kenny, uh, whichever way. But it's appropriate that we should be thinking about New Beginnings at this time of year because, well, uh, as we've seen, everybody's going back to routines after summer breaks, the school's starting up again. And, and of course, we're thinking about Craig Dyer, who's uh, be, be going to be the senior pastor here uh, fairly soon, beginning of September. So that's a, another new beginning for Hamilton Baptist Church. Those of you who are in employment, maybe you've had a holiday break and you're going back to a new start as well. And uh, so as we think about uh, kind of new beginnings, our, our lives are really full of new beginnings. And new beginnings bring new opportunities for us as well. At least that's generally the way we think about it. In Scotland, there's a great tradition of celebrating Hogmanay, looking to the beginning of a new year uh, on uh, New Year's Day. And we kind of, uh, there's an old tradition of sweeping up and cleaning up the house so there's not a speck of dust or a dish unwashed uh, before midnight as we begin again into the new year. A new baby is born and it's a new beginning. A birthday is celebrated. A new job offer is accepted and it's new beginnings. And we get these all the time. This morning, you woke up to a new day and it's a new beginning. But I think the best new beginnings that we can think of as Christians, is the new beginning of when we're born of the Spirit of God, when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, when we open up our hearts to the grace of God and we become Christians. That is an amazing new beginning for us. And I hope that uh, everyone here is a Christian, that everyone has actually experienced the new birth of the Holy Spirit. And having uh, been born of the Spirit, had the new opportunity of living a new life with God. And if you haven't, then there's going to be something in this sermon for you to listen to, because you can turn the page in your life as well as we think about new beginnings. Jesus likened the new birth, as it were, when we become Christians, to the being born again as a, as, as a child, a, when a, born, when a child is born again, everything is new. It's never yawned for the first time. It's never sneezed for the first time. And it's amazing to watch the first yawn and the first sneeze if you've ever seen a baby that is newborn. You wonder how it ever learned to do that. But everything is brand new when we're born of the Spirit. It's like, uh, what does uh, the Apostle Paul say about it? He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this is where we are in Christ, thinking about new beginnings that bring new opportunities for us every day.
Now, Paul describes something of what this meant for him when he was born of the Spirit. And uh, he writes in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to go through the verses just now, uh, where he says, uh, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind... And straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. great to have a fresh start. I'm popping up some images here that can maybe try and uh, stimulate your imagination as we think about new beginnings. At least most of us like a new beginning. If you've ever fallen out with a close friend or a, a spouse, a husband or wife, or somebody as important to you, it's a horrible experience. And don't tell me you've never fallen out with someone who's close to you. Uh, when you just angry with one another, not speaking to one another and that sort of thing. But you value that relationship enough to be able to do what is necessary to be reconciled with one another. And all of a sudden that prickliness is gone and there's peace within the home, maybe even a hug and a kiss. Uh, but it's been restored, that relationship has been restored. And this happens uh, too with God. We can, we, uh, we can and we do sin as Christians. And the one, of the, one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that we have this relationship with God. Prayer ceases to be, ceases to be so much of a, a, a liturgy as it becomes a conversation where we're listening to God and we're speaking to God from the heart. But that relationship can be spoiled through our sin. And uh, the dysfunction that... Uh, that that comes about through, through our sin means that uh, we're aware that, uh, that uh, it affects our prayers. What does, the, Lord, what does the, the psalm say? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Uh, and also in the Lord's prayer, uh, if we don't forgive one another, the Lord says he won't forgive us. What that actually means is, if in as much as 
our unwillingness to forgive one another in our human relationships will affect the way that we relate to God. It has a direct impact on this. Nevertheless, we as Christians can have a new start. We can start over whenever we fall along the way, whether it's big time or whether it's small time. We can keep short accounts with God. The uh, scriptures say in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a new beginning every time we kneel before God in prayer and acknowledge our sin before him. Our relationship with God is restored. It doesn't matter how deep we've sunk, how dark our sins have been. Paul, in his life story, illustrates this to us very well. He had been a persecutor of the church. He had been present at the stoning to death of Stephen, the first martyr. I mean, these sorts of things. I don't know what, what comes to mind sometimes during the day about regrets or failings or sins or stupid things that you once did uh, in the past or things you, that you deeply regret that impacted other people in negative ways. These things are gone as far as uh, God is concerned when we brought these sins to the cross. But Paul uh, thinks about his past. But then there's his conversion on the Damascus Road, which changed everything. And he was given a new beginning. And instead of being zealous as a persecutor of the church, he became zealous for Christ. Instead, it was a total turnaround of his life. With a new beginning, he took the new opportunities to serve the Lord and was zealous for God. Now, I don't imagine that any of your shortcomings would be anything on the same scale, uh, unless you've secretly been a murderer somewhere and plotted something, uh, or whatever. But Paul was, uh, certainly had many things that he regretted, even though he was sincere in what he did. Uh, but... Uh, in terms of comparisons, if Paul could move on, then so can you. So what does a fresh start look like for you and me today? We can look at it in God's word, but what does it mean for you and I? Well, I don't know what your life is composed of. Maybe there's something that you're aware of in your life that you would really like to bring to the cross, that you would really like to change you have a new opportunity today to walk closer with God. And whatever is hindering that close walk with God, it can be dealt with by Christ. It could be an addiction of some kind, a secret addiction that holds on to you that is very difficult to break. Or it could be in the positive that you would like to be a more excellent parent or a, an excellent husband or wife, or, or to resolve to be an outstanding Christian or Christian leader. Whatever that desire that you have, whatever that intention 
that, that you may have. God can help with that because he gives us these new beginnings. Now, these may be excellent intentions, excellent goals, but there is one that is greater than this, and that is to make our primary goal to become like Christ. Because the more we become like Christ, the more these other issues will fall into line behind that. It's why the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. It's the language of relationship here. Uh, he says, I, I want to, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? To know the power of his resurrection in his life. Fellowship, if he's going to have any suffering in his life, let that suffering be because he is a Christian and he's doing the right thing. Becoming like him in his death, whatever he dies from, don't let me die as I'm run over by a horse and cart. Let me die as a martyr on the cross and share in the sufferings of Christ. So deep is his passion for God as the Holy Spirit works within his heart. Respond to that. When God is at work in your life by the Holy Spirit, drawing you into a closer relationship with him, giving you that desire, feed that desire, nurture it until your, your desire is so much to be like Christ that you pursue it as the one thing you desire more than anything else. So for the Apostle Paul here, he, lives a, he gives us a good example in Philippians chapter 3. And I've outlined this with four points. Be dissatisfied with anything else. If you really want Christ to be first in your life, as you have a new opportunity today with a new beginning, for a new beginning, if you want to be like Christ, be satisfied, be dissatisfied with anything less. Should I say, be dissatisfied with anything less. He, said, he writes, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He hadn't arrived. He knew he hadn't arrived. But what did he want? He said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What, what is that? What's he pressing on to take hold of for which Christ Jesus had took hold of him? A rabbi called a disciple not only to learn from uh, the, the rabbi, but also to become like the rabbi. Our calling is to become like Christ. This is why Christ has take hold, hold, taken hold of us. And his desire was to press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus had took, taken hold of him. To be holy, to be godly, to be spiritually mature, to have a meaningful relationship with God, for Christ to be his sole passion in life. And the Holy Spirit, as I say, makes us homesick for that kind of relationship with God. There's an old uh, hymn 
that we used to sing. I don't know whether you ever sing this one here, but the chorus goes, uh, Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy Christ Jesus found in thee. Uh, Whoever penned that one knew what this uh, was talking about. Only Christ can fill the God-shaped void within the human heart. And we can try to fill it with other things, with material things. They don't satisfy. I've got an interest in antiques and collectibles. And a couple of things that I bought over the years, I thought that'd be a really nice thing to have. And then I've got it, and I think it's great that I've got it. And then I look at it in a cabin, and I think, what do I really want that for? And I've gone and sold it. A kind of my house is burglars. Come and burgle me anytime. There's nothing in my house. Because possessions don't possess me. Um, then there's um, achievement is, is another thing. I've heard that people who, who achieve great things and get to the top say when you get to the top, there's nothing there. I can't remember which emperor it was who wept when he, when he ran out of kingdoms he could conquer. Uh, he just kept trying to achieve and achieve and then didn't really satisfy. Only Christ can fill the void in the human heart. And following through with our godly desires, pursuing godliness is the way forward for us as Christians. Be dissatisfied with anything else. Be devoted to your cause. He says, but one thing I do. A recommitment to Christ requires focus. Olympic athletes go for one particular sport to excel in. They can't, well, they can't really excel in more than one, generally speaking, uh, or really reach the top in more than one sport. So they specialize in it. I was watching uh, Novak Djokovic, a part of that in the final of the tennis, and I could see how much he'd invested in that. He, he lost it, but you can see how much people invest in their, in their sport in order to reach the top. And uh, when, when Paul says, there's one thing I do, <laughs> it's the one thing of pursuing uh, the knowledge of Christ, of, of a relationship with God. Uh, it's, it's his obsession, as it were. And it is, it is his example. It's the same with people who play musical instruments. If you want to excel Stick with one instrument. If you want to become a, a, a superb employee, follow one career path. And if as a Christian you want to know Christ, then devote yourself to the pursuit of godliness. When we have a specific goal in mind, it sets the direction of our lives. Paul is looking to the future. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on. There's a challenging verse in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 62, uh, that reads, For is that no one who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
And looking at that ploughed field there, it has gone a bit wonky in places. And of course, once you get one furrow wrong, all the other furrows have to follow the same track. Uh, Years ago, when I worked in the TV trade, I was driving a van around as a field technician. And as I was driving along on a hot summer's day, a bee flew in through the window. And as I was paranoid about this bee, it was buzzing and buzzing behind the seat. And I turned around to see where it was, ended up on the pavement. Gladly, there's nobody on the pavement. I didn't do any harm to the car. The point is this. You cannot go directly forward if you're constantly looking back. And you cannot plough a straight furrow uh, if you are not focused on where you are going. The same is true with the Christian life. The The past is to be forgotten. Forget the past, Paul says. Uh, Well, he doesn't say that, but he implies it. It says what he does. As somebody who dropped the baton, uh, I I saw somebody yesterday on the, uh, watching the the, the final, the women's final for the, um, the penalty shootout. Oh, nobody wants to be the person that misses the goal. Uh, and that's the kind of the thing, to, that's the kind of thing you want to forget. Uh, but it's not easily forgotten. Forget the negatives, Paul is saying. Uh, and he had a past to forget when he thought about the pain and the damage that he'd done to other people in life. But he wasn't going to dwell on his mistakes and let them ruin his opportunities of going forward to effective ministry. And just as Paul had to uh, choose to forget what lay behind, which is what he did, you might have regrets as well that have held you back. Do you know, I would, I would volunteer to do that, but I just don't think I'm really the kind of, I don't think I'm worthy of it because such and such and such and such, and you're dragged back from going forward by the past as you focus on negatives that really are things to put behind you. You have an absolutely fresh new start in Christ. The moment you kneel at the cross and the moment you kneel daily to ask him for a new beginning, uh, the past is to be the past. Don't, don't Don't focus on the past. God's word tells us this. Do you know, God's got an ability to forget. It doesn't mean that God is demented, if you like. It's a choice. God chooses not to remember certain things. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. We've got an accuser called Satan. He's called the adversary. And he comes along and nips in our ear and reminds us of those things in order to discourage us and to stop us from going forward in the purposes of God. Don't listen to the evil one. 
God chooses not to remember your sins against you. And we should choose not to remember our sins against ourselves. There's a forgetting of the negatives. There's a forgetting also of the past positives here. Although these weren't exactly positives for Paul, but he does remember some of the things which I would imagine he would have been quite proud of his learning, not so proud of, uh, of uh, his failings, but in his former achievements, we've got, if someone else thinks they've reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the pedigree. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Okay, he had so much, he devoted himself so much to the, to the scriptures. The negatives uh, here we've got in um, persecuting the church, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was a moral character. But he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He regarded these as pluses at the time, but later saw them for what they were. There's no place for complacency within the Christian life. We are to have a way of being that is um, characterized by the pursuit of godliness. We never arrive. We are always on the move to greater Christ-likeness through on the journey that we take. Forgetting what lies behind means refusing to think that we have peaked, as it were, and that we can just plateau on the Christian life. There's always more. And we break the power of the past to hold us back when we focus on what lies ahead. And what is true for us as individuals is also true for churches. I have been privileged by the grace of God, to serve uh, as moderator in Hamilton Baptist Church twice. And occasionally, I'm going to introduce you to a common narrative that I've heard from time to time in other places. And the question has been asked of me more than once. Are they still looking for a replacement for, and they mention the name of a previous minister? I wonder who that might have been. Are they still looking for a replacement for Alistair Begg? That was the question that was asked to me a couple of times. Um, you may have known that, you may not know that. I'm glad to be able to answer, no, they are not. Though there was a time when Alistair's uh, ministered here, his ministry was outstanding, and he's gone on to have a very fruitful ministry, and he's, he's guarded himself against all of the downside that can come from being well-known and well-appreciated as a, a Christian leader in ministry. Uh, and there was a time when there was a long vacancy, I think, because in the wake of his ministry, I think the church were appreciated his, his strengths so much they were looking for someone who had the same strengths. But the church has moved on. And this is over 40 years ago we're talking about now. So I, my answer is, no, they are not. Currently, the church is well served by 
people called of God, including Jonathan Davey, who's a, a pastor here. There's Amy involved in uh, youth and children's work. There's Suzanne as administrator, a team of elders, an army of leaders, musicians, uh, and others within the church, uh, including deacons and volunteers serving in this church as it moves forward. And as we're thinking about the church moving forward, soon Craig Dyer will commence his ministry here as senior pastor. This leads nicely into my next uh, brief point. Being dissatisfied with anything less, being devoted to your cause, also being determined to reach your goal. The church is looking ahead. And that goal that we have is to be like Christ. Paul writes, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. And the word press here, I understand, is a, it's a strong word. It's, if you've ever seen one of these wildlife pro programs where a hungry lioness uh, wants to feed its cubs, it is determined to get a meal for them. And as a hunter, it will go after big beasts in order to pull them down. That's the strength of, of pressing. It's like a hunter after the prey. It's like an athlete who is determined to go to jump even higher. Or a, a computer gamer uh, who is determined they're going to reach the next level and get past this particular level in order to, uh, to, to move on. It's that kind of drive that we have. A runner who is determined that this year they will win the prize. That's, that's, the, that's the strength of it. This is, this is Paul's uh, determination to become like Christ. What is that prize? It is one day to hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing else I want to hear. There's, nothing, there's no greater reward. What are heavenly rewards going to be like? To know that our lives were pleasing to the Lord is more reward than anyone would ever want. And finally, be disciplined in order to excel. Paul writes, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's talking about the disciplines of the Christian life. You're hearing God's word today. Do it. Jesus has a parable about that. It's hearers who do the word who follow through on obeying the word, uh, that become fruitful in their Christian lives, not hearers only. James also follows on a similar theme. Jesus using the parable of the two houses. Follow through 
And whatever the Lord is saying to you in your heart today about the new beginning and the new opportunity that you have as an individual and as a church. Richard Foster has a good book on disciplines. It's a classic now. It's an old book on celebration of discipline where he focuses on the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and study of simplicity, solitude and service, of confession, worship and guidance. But basically it is a resolve, I think, an inner resolve to follow through and to make our goal to know Christ. And from there the other disciplines can follow. Athletes need to train daily in order to be fit to win the race. And there's little progress in the Christian life without the disciplines. Is there anything negative that's holding you back? Is there an addiction in your life that you feel ashamed about, that's secret and hidden? And you don't want to tell anybody about it because of the shame and how you feel. They may judge you for what you do. But it's holding you back and it's tormenting you. Speak to someone you can trust who is kind, a counsellor perhaps, to enable you to find a way to be freed from it, whatever it may be. What does the scripture say? He who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. That's a new beginning for you. If God is speaking to you about that, And don't neglect the basics of prayer and spending time reading his word, God's word. For it is in this that we stay close to the Lord. Let's finish up with an encouragement from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, when the writer to the Hebrews has listed a number of heroes of faith writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. The race is marked out for you today. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the goal. The author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're in a season of new beginnings. We have new beginnings every day as Christians. If you haven't had a new beginning because you've not yet become a Christian, Today is an opportunity for that. Speak to me after. We'll pray together or speak to one of the elders or someone you know here who is a believer who will help you come to Jesus and cross over that line and put the past behind you and begin the adventure of a new beginning today. That opportunity is there for you.